Hello and welcome back to Meredith with a Y. Hopefully you are having a beautiful day today. I am going to get into sort of a, I don't know, I've been talking about this alcohol thing for a couple weeks now and I want to dive a little deeper and really speak to the 20-year-olds. So stay with me. Hello and hello. I I know some people out there probably, if you haven't been listening the last couple of weeks, are probably done with me talking about alcohol and uh, sobriety and all that good stuff. But I, I kind of had a situation this past week where I felt I needed to speak on it at least one more time. And I am settling into what will be six weeks of no alcohol. Again, I don't consider myself a sober person. I don't consider myself uh, someone that can't drink or has a problem with drinking. Um, But at the same time, I don't know if it's possible to drink alcohol and not have a problem with it because you're literally ingesting poison um, into your system. So is that a good idea? Not sure. but today I kind of want to talk to uh, the, 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 the concepts of the 20-year-olds. And I want to talk to um, women specifically. And I've been mulling this over all week as to how I want to go about it because we are told, you know, more than two drinks a day or seven, you know, drinks a week is bad for us. But I really... I really think that it's being marketed to us in very much the same way as Oxycontin. And if you took a moment since my last um, talk and watched Painkiller on Netflix, if you haven't watched Painkiller on Netflix, it is excellent. If you have any judgment um, about Oxy, if you have any judgment about um, people who have died, or you know, your neighbor's son who is an oxy addict, etc., um, and you are judging them. Please, I am begging you to go watch Painkiller on Netflix. It is excellent. It is well done. Um, it changed the game for me for how I see oxy cotton um, addicts. And as you're watching it, if you have not. I would like you throughout the show intermittently to change Oxy with alcohol because there really isn't um, a difference. It really, there's really no difference because um, drugs are addictive. Drugs work on your dopamine um, receptors and telling you that um, alcohol is, you know, feel good. Alcohol is going to make your life better. And I'm just going to read something that for me was mind-blowing. Again, this is from the book, Quit Like a Woman, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol by Holly Whitaker. It'll be in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Um, And so this is on page 101. When we drink alcohol, artificially high levels of dopamine are released into the brain. A glass of wine will release more dopamine. Stay with me, people. 
stay with me. A glass of wine will release dope, more dopamine than good sex, good chocolate, or good coffee. The above normal level of dopamine tells our brain that alcohol is really good at keeping us alive. And so the brain sends out higher levels of glutamate to lock in the experience. We remember the experience of drinking a cold glass of Chardonnay on a hot summer day more than we remember eating a slice of apple pie or drinking a kale smoothie because this neurobiological process. I want you to understand how problematic this is and how problematic this is for kids. And this really chokes me up, to be honest with you, because when we're talking about teens drinking, they go from this idea that hanging out with their friends and playing a, you know, in a volleyball game or going to an amusement park or just hanging out with their, you know, their friends in the, in the backyard, that to them is, is firing up their dopamine. And when we introduce alcohol, it changes the game for them completely. Then sneaking out with their friends and going and getting drunk is the new dopamine high. I need you to understand how huge this is for a teenager to go from having a regular life where they are enjoying and their their highest of high dopamine is you know, a good report card or, you know, winning the game in basketball. And it switches because of alcohol to this, this false dopamine hit that is then programmed into their brain as being necessary for survive, survival by glutamate. This is, this is game-changing information. This is something everyone needs to talk to their kids about, that you are programming your brain such that every single day and all the shit in your life is going to be mundane moving forward. And this is true for adults as well. When we program our brains that alcohol, that cigarettes, that oxy, that cocaine are the pinnacle of happiness and happiness, therefore survival. The problem is everything else is dull. Everything else is just a little less happy, a little less exciting. And I remember them saying, like in college, I think it was, like if alcohol is um, introduced, you know, the younger alcohol is introduced to a kid's brain, the more likely they are to become an alcoholic. But they never said why. They never explained it, that as soon as you start drinking alcohol, hey, P.S., the rest of your freaking life is going to seem gray. It's going to be a little beige. And you're doing this to yourself. You are making it so that going for a walk is meh, is a five. Having sex with your spouse is a seven. And it's not your spouse's fault. It's because booze is now the pinnacle of happiness. And your chemistry in your brain insists on that. It insists on that. 
How do people not get addicted to drugs? How do people not drink every weekend and every night when they get home from work? Because nothing can compare to the false dopamine hits from booze and drugs and cigarettes. I, I, no one say no. I, I, no one's talking about this. I, I, I've never heard this kind of conversation in my life. It is, you may be predisposed. You may have alcoholism in your alcoholism in your family. You're never gonna know until you try. Your parents might have been alcoholics, but that doesn't mean you will be. That's basically the way alcohol is sold to us. There's alcohol, and then there's the idiots that can't drink it because they're predisposed to alcoholism, to addiction, addictive personality. I, my whole life, I was told, hey, P.S., you know, you have an addictive personality, um, and so you should be mindful of drinking. No. Bullshit. Bullshit. But if we attack the alcohol and not the alcoholic, not the person who can't drink ethanol, right? We, we have to stay focused on the alcoholic because if we focus on the fact that alcohol is the problem, we ruin a multi-billion dollar industry, not to mention the multi-billion dollar industries of curing people from alcoholism and all of the repercussions of drinking. While you watch Painkiller on Netflix, switch, switch Oxy with alcohol. There's no difference. We are not being told. We are not being informed. I had someone reach out to me. This was years ago. And she said to me, she said, did you see in New York, they're starting to limit the size of um, soda that they'll sell? And so they they went and they they were irritated that they were talking about like this idea that um, they should be allowed to drink as much soda as they want to. And so I said, well, yeah, I mean, like, what's, you know, what's the problem with that? And, you know, maybe, you know, they're looking out for people. And so, you know, the thing of it is, is we believe that just because something is on the market, that it's okay for us. We believe that something that is sold to us as food is actually food. We believe that you know, we are being told what is okay for us to, to eat and ingest. And that is 1000% not the case. My daughter actually lives in Florida and she was telling me about this store um, in, in Florida where it's called a British store and they sell all foods and candies and whatnot from Europe that doesn't have the junk in it that the United States puts in our food. So like she was telling me she was looking at this um, can of tomato soup and it didn't have the red dye in it. Like, why are we adding red dye? But we don't think anything of it. And so we believe that if something is on the shelf and billed to us as something that is okay for us to ingest, we trust that because the Food and Drug Administration and all of these other government bodies wouldn't let us ingest these without the full knowledge of, hey, just drink only seven of these a week and you'll be fine. Just drink seven of these a week and you'll be all right. And, and that's not the case. If you look at Oxy and you look and watch that show Painkiller, 
you'll see that stuff's pushed through and it's pushed through for lots of reasons. Number one being money. Number two, probably being money and power. Actually, they're probably hand in hand. Um, and that was billed as completely safe. Not, you know, not to be found to be addictive. Well, and now we look back and we know that's not the case. 500,000 plus people died from Oxycontin. That's 10 times more than died in the Vietnam War. What? We are given a percentage of the story. We are given a percentage of what and why and how. And we just think, well, if we just, if we just keep our alcohol ingestion in check, we'll be okay. We'll be all right. If we just aren't predisposed to alcoholism, if we just don't have an addictive personality, it's almost impossible to not have a, an addictive personality with a substance that tells our brain that this is necessary for survival once we take it. And imagine what that's doing to teenagers and to 20-somethings. Imagine what it's doing when the highest of their high in their very stressful lives, be it them venturing out of their parents' home for the first time in adulthood or going off to a four-year degree, whatever that is, when they venture out and they are under stress, how do they not become addicts when alcohol is, is in, you know, presented to them as being this very easy high to get to? Um, so I, I, I pulled up some um, information about some other, other uh, one of which is nicotine. Um, smoking encourages the brain to switch off its mechanism for making dopamine. What? Smoking encourages the brain to switch off its mechanism for making dopamine. So in the long term, the supply of dopamine, the thing that makes you feel good in life, which in turn then prompts people to smoke more because they're just chasing it. So your body stops producing natural dopamine, the feel good, right? We, it says, okay, we're not going to produce anything in your body. So you're going to feel like shit all the time unless you're ingesting dopamine. I mean, ingesting nicotine. Now that, people, that right there is an amazing business model. That is the way to create a product such that you completely stop feeling good unless you have a cigarette in your hand, which goes back to my uh, podcast last week where you literally spend every minute of every day waiting to get to the cigarette when you smoke. When you're eating, you can't wait to have a cigarette. When you're sleeping, you can't wake up, you know, wait to wake up, have the coffee, have the cigarette. Well, duh. No shit. You're literally ingesting a product that says, hey, unless you're doing this, unless you're smoking, you are going to be melancholy. 
That's insane. That's amazing to me. Alcohol causes the brain reward, brain's reward system to release the motivation alchemical dopamine. But over time, okay, so alcohol says, boom, dopamine hit. But over time, chronic drinking actually depletes the amount of dopamine in your brain, causing you to crave more alcohol and laying the groundwork for an alcohol addiction. Do you understand what I am saying here? The exact same chemical reaction that happens in Oxycontin is the exact same thing that happens with alcohol and cigarettes. They have found, and when you watch the show Painkiller, again, I'm begging you to watch it. When you watch the show Painkiller, you see what they're talking about is they are they are going towards a space when they're developing this drug where they are in between pain and pleasure. Because in humanity, the humans are are constantly trying to feel better. I'm not going to hang out with this person because they make me feel like shit. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to have a donut because it feels good and I get a dopamine hit. I want to have a glass of wine because it feels good and it's a party and I want to feel good. Humans are constantly in a state of wanting to feel good. We are feel-good junkies. And this is why there is so much salt and sugar and shit in food in the in United States. They don't give a crap about health. They want you to have that dopamine high, more sugar, more junk, more salt, more yum. So that when you eat an orange or an apple, watch kids. If you give them a hundred snacks, they will never usually pick fruit or vegetables. hundred percent. Why? Because there is so much shit in our food that their brains would never pick an apple or an orange when there's something else to, to choose. They're programmed to eat shit. We look at uh, Americans across the board, travel America. I mean, when I say the majority of people are profoundly overweight, you know, morbidly obese, but then you wiggle back to what I'm talking about here, people. How are we not obese? I have lost one pound this week. I'm working out an hour and a half every day, minimum three plus miles a day with an additional 45 minute workout after that. High um, protein diet, mostly fruits and vegetables, all whole foods, all whole foods, no booze, and drinking water. I lost one pound this week. How the Sam Heller people eating at Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's? I would weigh 700 pounds if I even look at that shit, let alone lose it. And then we look and go, God, these people, they're lazy, they're fat. No, they're in a dopamine hit. They're in a dopamine spiral. This entire world is geared towards you being addicted to the salt, the sugar, the booze, the, the, the nicotine, whatever it is, and then it's your problem. You're the problem. And I'm not, this is not a victim mentality thing. This is an education thing. I don't think the majority of Americans or people understand that we are literally in a dopamine spiral with the majority of things that are sold at our stores and supermarkets. How is this our fault? 
We don't know this. If someone said to us in middle school, hey, just so you know, unless you're literally eating fruits, vegetables, meat, there's a very good chance you're being um, poisoned with salt, excessive amounts of sugar, and which is going to create a pattern in your brain that you're going to crave this shit. And then you're never going to have enough that you're craving. And then you're going to be like, you know, living at McDonald's. You know, the more you eat like McDonald's fries, the better they taste, the more you want it, right? The more booze you drink, the more booze you want. That's just the way life is. We, we, we search it out. We want it. And then we want more of it. But it's then it's the fat person's problem, right? It's the alcohol. They should have had more control over themselves. No, they didn't. How do they know that they're being sucked in to an oxy spiral? That's what we should call this stuff is an oxy spiral. Hey, you're just so you know, the fact that you want to eat ice cream every single night before you go to bed. P.S. You're in an oxy spiral. Oh, what? What's that? Well, that's where you've been marketed and you've been programmed that all this shit that you're eating and drinking and smoking, you can't even, you don't even know this, but your brain is programmed that that is the best that you are going to feel today. That's the best you're going to feel today. What? Excuse me? I would have liked that information. I would have liked that information. I would have liked to have known that you are going to dull out the rest of your life when you like salad. Think about it. This is not difficult. Salad or McDonald's Happy Meal cheeseburger, whatever you want to call it. What has more flavor? What seems more addictive to you? An ice cream sundae or a bowl of fruit? This, this isn't a choice. That's, that's what I'm getting at here. And when we serve this up and we're doing it with, with screen time, and, and I'm not a person that's opposed to kids being on screens because I know it's the way of our future. That is a dopamine hit. I have videos that have been, you know, I mean, if you don't know um, much about me, if you, if you don't know much about me on social media, excuse me. I have roughly, um, you know, 1.4 million followers across social media. That's a lot of followers, okay? So when I post a video, it's getting thousands of views, um, many times millions of views. I have videos that have been seen, you know, 20 million times. Can you understand if I were not a 50-year-old woman and I have not been doing this for a long time, how that dopamine could control me of when people like my stuff, um, it, you know, comment on it, whatnot. I decided a long time ago that when people comment good or bad, I'm not going to believe it because I can't, because it would make me crazy. Because the dopamine inside of social media is, is right there, the same type of high, but it's not, it's not ingested but it gives you that same high. And so I had to recognize like it is super important for me to not get down because of social media, but also not get up because of social media. I don't equate it with my ego because it would make me a crazy person trying to attain that, that type of viewing and likes and all that other crap, right? And also checking it, right? You got to check it. 
how many likes did I get? And you see this in teens. We see this in teens when they post to Instagram, how many likes did I get? We, we see this. And so imagine we can see this obviously from a, a parental, oh yeah, they're, they're getting sucked into social media, right? But the same holds true if you're taking them to McDonald's every night. The same holds true if you're letting them drink in your basement, you know, period. The same holds true. You're telling them that this is going to be the best your week's going to be. And it's not your fault because your brain is going to tell you chemically that drinking with your friends right now is the best part of your week. No more will volleyball, a volleyball game win, be the best part of your week. This is it. And you don't even realize as a parent that that's what you're doing to your kid. That's what sucks to me. That's what sucks. But that's the conversation I think we need to have with our kids is to say, look, once you do this, you can do this and you're going to do this behind my back or not, but I want you to know what it's doing to your brain. It's cementing that alcohol is the best part of your week. Can sugar cause low dopamine? The dopaminergic neurons are less active because the taste cells don't work as well in animals with high sugar diet. The lowered activity means less of the feel good feeling from dopamine and less satiety from sugar. Um, The process is somewhat similar to drug addiction. So what they're saying here is that it causes your taste cells to not work as well when you have a high sugar diet. So you need more sugar. You need more sugar. You need more sugar. Sugar yesterday, you need more today. And I don't know if anyone's ever traveled, but, or, you know, if you're outside of the United States, but I remember uh, my daughter and I, we went to um, London a few, quite a few years ago. And I remember eating an orange and it tasted completely different than the oranges in the United States. And I was like, how do you make an orange taste different? How do you make an orange taste different? But it did totally different. Dopamine is known as the feel-good hormone. It gives you a sense of pleasure. It also gives you the motivation to do something when you're feeling pleasure. pleasure. Dopamine is part of your reward system. This system is designed from an evolutionary standpoint to reward you when you're doing the things you need to do to survive. Eat, drink, compete to survive and reproduce. As humans, our brains are hardwired to seek out behaviors that release dopamine in our reward system. When you're doing something pleasurable, your brain releases a large amount of dopamine. You feel good and you seek more of that feeling. This is why junk food and sugar are so addictive. They trigger the release of a large amount of dopamine into your brain, which gives you the feeling that you're on top of the world and you want to repeat that experience. This is our this is our chemical bodies, guys. And so I want to talk for a minute about the fact that when you partake, when Friday is the best part of your day because you get to booze, um, when five o'clock is the best part of your day because you you know it's time to open a glass of you know a bottle of wine. And I, I want to be real clear because I'm getting some comments um, that. This, this information might not be for you, and that's okay, too. That's okay. 
you don't have to agree with me. But maybe someone you know is struggling. So just because just because you don't know about this, just because you might not be there yet or ever have been there and that your life does not revolve around dopamine hits because maybe that just that's not the way your chemistry is made up, that is awesome for you. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to talk about it because that it doesn't resonate with you. And I think that if we had more of these conversations, that more people would be understanding that what they're dealing with um, might not be necessarily their fault and might be the fact that they're, that's the way their brain and their body reacts to substances, be them sugar or salt or, or sex or, you know, cigarettes or alcohol. But if we don't talk about it because of the fact that you might be bored, I don't know what to tell you, but that doesn't seem like we're doing anyone any good because the rise in 20-somethings of cirrhosis of the liver is, is huge right now. The amount of women over the age of 40 who are alcoholics is on the rise. And if I'm given a platform to talk about the fact that, hey, P.S., just so you know, the fact that you want to grab a bottle of wine every day at 4 o'clock might not be necessarily your fault. And we might have to lean into the fact that that booze is calling your name because you've been programmed in your mind, in your chemistry, to think that it is positive for your survival and is a good thing. We should probably freaking talk about that. Because I don't want to talk to another 20-something this week, like I did last week, who was on death's door because they didn't realize that the alcohol was a problem in their life because I've talked to a few and they didn't know. They thought that they could drink and be okay. And you can't, just like you can't have a little bit of oxy. Just, I mean, can you imagine saying to someone, hey, as long as you can do a little bit of meth, You'll be fine. Just, just, but just keep it to like once a week. Just do meth once a week. Just do heroin. Like keep heroin to twice a week. And you'll be fine. Huh? Alcohol is three times more addictive and three times more destructive than cocaine. Nicotine and alcohol are two of the most addictive substances, period. Period. And the fact that they're, quote, socially acceptable to ingest from 9 a.m. on Saturday to Sunday at midnight and throughout the week after 5 o'clock, the fact that that's normal. Might be a problem. The fact that kids, you know, I took their keys. All the kids can drink at my house. I took their keys. Oh, did you? You took their keys. Well, did you also inform them that every single thing that they do the rest of their entire high school career and college career is going to be mundane if alcohol isn't involved? Have you taken that upon yourself to tell the kids that are, you're letting drink over their ho your house? You took their keys. 
I let my teens drink because they're drinking at my house and that's safer. Did you also let them know that you've ruined the rest of their happiness factor? Did you let them freaking know that? Because I don't think you did. I don't think you let them know that. So yeah, this conversation, everyone might not be wanting to hear it, but I think that if you don't talk to your kids about this, and if you don't understand what alcohol is doing to your brain and how it's making everything else a little shitty, I think that that's unfair. I think it's unfair to not know that the same shit that's going on in your brain with Oxy and and, and heroin and all of that, the same dopamine response and the glutamine, glutamine, however you say it, let's look, make, I don't want to screw it up, screw it up, glutamate, sorry, that locks in that experience. The fact that we don't know that, I think that's a crime. That's bullshit. I would like to have known that. And then the fact that it, it basically turns your brain off and you become the reptilian that lives inside of you so that you can make bad decisions and you don't give a shit anymore and you can do all the things and be, you know, your reptilian self. I think that, that uh, adding all that together that you get to be free and fun and more of yourself and I don't have my filter. Yeah, I, I've recognized the fact that alcohol turns off the, the, your parents' voice in your head. It turns off your parents' voice in your head. So when you're over there going, I'm a loser, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I, I can't do this, I can't do that, I, I need to do this, I need to get a better job, I need to, uh, you know, go work out more, I'm fat. I'm, you know, th that, the voice in your head that I've talked about before on my podcast that voice in your head that says you're a piece of shit, alcohol turns that off, at least in the beginning. It turns that off so that you can be yourself. But I believe if there is a way that we can be ourselves and get rid of the, our parents and society's voice that's in our head that says we're a wild whopping piece of shit, we won't need the alcohol. We won't need the drugs to turn off that voice. Can you imagine? What if you could be you, like you are on booze, without the booze? Because basically what you're doing is you're saying, I need to get rid of the voice in my head that tells me to stop being me. That judge and jury that lives in your head. Because see, that's how I got to today. I got rid of the people in my life and the things in my life and the voice in my head that says, you're a piece of shit. You're not good enough. You're to this, you're to that. I got rid of that voice. And in doing so, I didn't have to drink alcohol to get rid of the voice. Do you follow me on that? Alcohol gets rid of your inhibition. Your inhibition is the thing that lives in your head that says you're not good enough the way that you are. And so it feels good to go be that wild and crazy person or that the seductress or whatever that person is, the one who's dancing 
at a party who feels good and confident walking into a social setting. The reason you don't feel confident walking into a social setting is because you have that voice in your head that tells you you're a piece of shit. That's why you like to have a few drinks. But if we can get rid of the voice, if we can get rid of the judge and jury that lives in your head, that says you're not enough. What if we could get rid of that and then we don't need the booze? We don't need the drugs. We don't need the cocaine. We can just show up as ourselves and actually like who we are. So I want to talk about the fact of if you are sober curious or you're sending this to someone sober curious, it's going to take a minute because when you have those high dopamine hits and then remove them, for the first few weeks, you are going to be a little bit wacky. And I'm just letting you know you are because you don't know what to do to make yourself feel as good as you did when you cracked that bottle of wine. You don't know how to make yourself feel as good instantly, right? We talk about um, in, in America, we're pill poppers, right? We love our Tylenol, our Advil. We love our Xanax. We love to be able to pop a pill and feel different, right? Well, alcohol is the same thing. We drink it, boom, our dopamine goes up. We feel good. We're happy until we're not. And so how do we find that in everyday life when maybe since we were a teenager, alcohol has been the gateway to feeling better? And now that's gone. Now that's gone. You have have nothing to hold on to. Can't get there. You can't get to that feel good instantaneous. So you're going to have to implement things in your day-to-day that make you feel good. Small wins. Small wins. Cleaning a closet, working out, um, I don't know, whatever, whatever, whatever does it for you. Whatever used to make you happy. Being around friends. Um, painting. I don't know what it is. What it is for each of you, you're going to have to find out. Because you are going to have to implement those things because you are used to doing something, drinking, while still doing nothing. And now you are not going to have anything to fill your downtime. When I tell you a water bottle is going to save your life, it will save your life. Have a water bottle with you everywhere you go. You go out, water bottle. Exercise is a huge one. It helps burn off energy, going for walks, having a walking buddy, whatever it is. I want to tell you the amount of people that have reached out to me by way of social media, text message, etc. Since my last podcast, my last live, uh, saying how they have either quit drinking or slowed down drinking. Um, There is a brand my friends send me called Del Sol. It's Katy Perry's non-alcoholic. Um, brand of of drinks. There are a lot of non-alcoholic options out there. Um, I know I saw White Claw has a seltzer that is non-alcoholic. There are are a lot of really cool, um, you know, drinks at bars now that are non-alcoholic that have um, adaptogens and, you know, fresh juices. And, you know, so you can feel like you're kind of partaking. A lot of people do soda with, um, you know, soda water with limes or whatnot. I'm, I'm still staying away from like, you know, Diet Coke and that. I'm trying to, to keep myself 
away from a lot of juices and things like that. But at the same time, it's still, you know, this is all still new to me. Again, you know, on this week will be six weeks. I feel great. My skin looks amazing. Um, my head, I will say, is much clearer um, as far as brain fog is considered. Um, you know, the weight loss is, I'm sure, much easier than if I were drinking thousands of calories of booze a week. So that's huge. But you know, if you if you are interested in um, getting alcohol out of your life, please I, again read uh, "Quit Like a Woman" by Holly Whitaker. I'll have it in the show notes. Um, the last couple uh, podcasts of mine are talking about this, and um, go watch "Painkiller" on Netflix. And just every once in a while, just check yourself and switch out oxy with alcohol while you're watching it because. In my opinion, watching this and doing the research and living it, there's really no difference. The way that they designed alcohol and Oxy and and all of these things are very much in line with each other. They are focused on the same thing. So thanks so much for watching um, or listening this week on the podcast. I will be here next Monday again, 9 a.m. Central. And so stay with me and I'll see you guys here next week. Have a good one.